Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me, Daniel, and me, Brother Thomas Therese. Welcome back to another episode. This week, we're beginning a, a mini-series of episodes on the Holy Spirit. So very soon, it's going to be the Feast of Pentecost, which is a big feast in the church where we celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit onto the apostles. So we thought it would be good to have a mini-series of episodes looking into the Holy Spirit and drawing out different elements of that. So over the coming episodes, that's what we will be doing. So please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. Uh, it helps us to reach more people. And of course, share the episode with other people as well if you find it useful. Mm. That's um, that we are. That's a good point to make. That we are on multiple platforms, We're not just on Podbean. I know we share things on Podbean because you can get an easy link. But we're also on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. Uh, are we anywhere else? We will be on another platform in the future, but not till around October time. Okay. We've been teasing so, that for a while. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the yeah. future, in the future. Okay, anyway. let's get let's get started with our yeah. episode then. So, Brother Thomas, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a good question. Who is the right? Um, who is the right question? Very often when people think of the Holy Spirit, they think of the Holy Spirit as an it or a sort of, I don't know, impersonal force or something like that. But actually, no, who is the right is the right question because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, the third person of the Trinity. Um, and so this is why we use um, personal pronouns like he when we talk about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, it, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit is not just a sort of force. Um, what we can say about the Holy Spirit is that you experience the Holy Spirit through his effects. So just as you don't necessarily, um, you know, see a spirit, um, but you might see the effects of of uh, a, a spirit, if you, you know, think about you know, stories about ghosts or ghouls or, or something like that. Not that the Holy Spirit is any anything like that at all, <laughs> really. Um, other than the fact that, uh, like with wind or a spirit or something like that, you see the effects, but not the actual, um, uh, not the, the not the spirit itself. Or or you might see the effects of wind by uh, trees blowing or uh, you know, tumbleweed going across the desert, um, but you don't necessarily apprehend the wind itself. Uh, in a similar way with the Holy Spirit, if you want to know the difference that the Holy Spirit makes, if you want to know who the, who the Holy Spirit is, you encounter the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of Christ himself, who is never without the Spirit and never apart from the Father, um, and also in the, the lives of the saints, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and incorporated into Christ's body and united to the divine life by that vivifying or life-giving power of the Spirit. Uh, so that's probably the first um, thing to say. I mean, there's a lot in there to unpack. You know, the Spirit is life-giving. Um, you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the saints. And when I say the lives of the saints, I'm not only talking about those who have gone before us and... Um, Behold God face to face in heaven. Um, uh, now, but I, I'm also talking about the lives of the saints here on earth. 
you know, St. Paul, when he writes to the various communities, uh, calls the people who he's writing to saints or holy ones, holy ones of the Lord, friends of God. Um, those people who are filled with the divine love or filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, we become temples, Paul says, of the Holy Spirit, dwelling places of the presence of the Most High God, dwelling places of the love of God. And that love vivifies us, it enlivens us, it fills us with joy, and it encourages us to then go out and enkindle that joy uh, uh, in others and draw them closer to Christ and his mystical body, the church, so that they can be reconciled to the Father, but not only reconciled to the Father through having their sins, sins forgiven, but also for a new life, the life of the Spirit, life in the Spirit. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing that I want to say. I'm going to, I think we're going to sort of not go into the interpersonal dynamics of the Trinity. So mm. what, how the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit relate to each other. Um, it's important that I think that we say that from the outset because you can't really understand the Holy Spirit completely apart from um, the Son or from the Father. You can't siloize any member of the Trinity. I, I mean, we're pretty good at doing this, aren't we, when we talk about the Father and, uh, and the Son, siloizing them out. When we what, talk what about, do you mean by siloizing? Like, thinking of them in isolation. Okay. So when we, when we think about the act of creation, for example, we think about the Father. Mm. We don't often think about the Word, uh, the, uh, a.k.a. the Son. We don't often think about the Holy Spirit. Or we might think the Father speaks the word and the Spirit hovers over the waters, and then we're becoming more Trinitarian in our understanding of creation. The act of creation is an act of God. It's an act of all three persons of the Trinity, the one God, the one triune God. The act of creation is not the work of the Father alone, but the work of all of the Trinity. The Trinity doesn't do anything apart from, from the, the, the others. Right? There are certain things that it can be more appropriate uh, or more fitting to talk about, for example, in terms of the Son, with, for example, his, his life, uh, his, his, uh, in his humanity, for example, uh, on earth. Um, but in terms of the, the active um, work of the Lord, it's the triune God. And this is why we say, you know, the Son is never without the Spirit, is never without the Father. Look at the act of redemption and salvation. Very often we think about this being... Um, uh, solely the work of the Son, right? But it's not. Um, the Son is never without the Spirit and always beholds the Father's face. There's a really good book about this by uh, Father Simon Gain called Did, uh, mm, what is it? Is it Did Jesus See the Face of the Father yeah. or something like that? Yeah. See the Father's Face? Um, it's a fantastic book and he raises various objections to the idea that Jesus saw God face to face, the beatific vision during his earthly ministry and his earthly life. And he answers various objections to this. And he says, yes, Jesus did see the face of the Father uh, on earth. He did have the beatific vision um, and he was uh, always in the spirit. Um, so that's something that I think is quite important to say. And you see this when you go to confession. The next time you go to confession, listen to what the priest says to you. God, the Father of mercies, sent his only begotten son into the world for the forgiveness of sins. And the, and he, and he, he's, and, and the priest will say that the, the, the spirit is sent among us for the forgiveness of sins. And through the ministry of the church, God grant you pardon and peace, you know? So the act of salvation, redemption, creation, 
forgiveness are all the acts of God. And so then they are the, the action of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit um, uh, together. And yeah. so that's another important thing to say about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not act independently of the Father and the Son. Um, and so then you don't have any conflict between any of the members of the Trinity. That would just be a nonsense. Mm. You know, because sometimes people want to sort of set the Spirit up against um, against things like either obedience or against, um, you know, decisions by Christ's mystical body, the Church. But actually... The hierarchy and authority and the commandments that are given to us, um, those things are um, the um, the work and the expression of the triune God. It is as much the work of the Holy Spirit as it is the Father and the Son. And so, yeah, the Father and the Son are not in opposition uh, to each other. The Spirit does not move us to do things which are in conflict um, with what Christ and, and, the, and the Father uh, um, uh, teach. They, they, they operate together. Yeah. So the Spirit doesn't move us outside. Um, um, yeah, I mean, the Spirit does, does, does operate outside or, or can choose to oper operate outside the church and does operate outside the church. This is something that you find in Lumen Gentium and Gaudium et Spes in the Second Vatican Council. Um, but the Holy Spirit operates within the church. So, yeah. Anyway, the long story short, talking about uh, this, the Spirit, if you want to see the difference that, 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 uh, that God makes and the work of the Holy Spirit, look to the lives of the saints um, and people who... Uh, are in conformity with the divine life to the fullest, and then you'll right. see. Animated yeah. by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You just said an interesting thing there, that the Father does not act independently of the the Son, and Jesus does not in, act independently of the Holy Spirit. You know, that interplay. It, it got me thinking, actually, that we as Christians uh, do not act independently from, from God. So Jesus says in, in the Gospels he's going to send the Holy Spirit, um, after he's ascended into heaven and that Holy Spirit is there to help us to come to our ultimate destination which is to heaven it's there the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings are really to help us get to our heavenly home in a sense and in a, in a sense this is our ultimate aim of life is to get to heaven which is why the Holy Spirit is is sent to us to we could be more perfected over time and enjoy more this communion with God, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But God is not going to do that work in us independently of us, but with us, in, in communion with us, uh, mm. with God. So let's just spend some time looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit then in, in this episode. And in uh, I think in the next episode, we'll look at the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is present in our life, different fruits come from, from the working with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being present in our lives. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our, into our lives, these gifts are given to us in order to protect, uh, in order to perfect us. And these gifts are anticipated in, in the Old Testament. So it's not something that comes out of nowhere. It's, it's something which is anticipated in the long history of salvation and God working with his people. And we, we see it in a prophetic text from Isaiah. So Isaiah says, A shoot springs from the stock of Jesse, 
a Shion. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Shion, maybe. Shion, a Shion. Thrusts from his roots. On him, the spirit of Yahweh rests, a spirit of wisdom and insight, of counsel and power, of knowledge and of the fear of Yahweh. So Isaiah is a, a prophet and he's dreaming about the Messiah and what the Messiah will look like. And he says, on the day that the Messiah will come, so on that day, a shoot shall like sprout from the stump of Jesse. So from the Davidic line will come the Messiah, basically. And the Messiah, what will the Messiah look like? The Messiah will have this spirit of the Lord. So, that, so again, Jesus with uh, with the Holy Spirit. So the two persons of God working together with the Father as well. So again, the Trinity, those three persons. And what will the Spirit of the Lord look like with the Messiah? It will have a spirit. There will be a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and of strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So what Isaiah is saying that when, when the Messiah comes, these things will be present. So from Isaiah right the way through the Old Testament, through into the church. We have this long tradition and reflection within the church about what these seven gifts, really, these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are. And you see, you see it beautifully depicted in stained glass windows and in poetry, like Dante's, Dante's poetry talks about these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and you see many reflections on these, on these things throughout the tradition of the church, which are obviously a great, um, a great help to us uh, over, over the course of our lives. Do you want to add anything there? No, uh, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, obviously Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in his letters as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Maybe it'd be worth going through what those gifts of the Spirit are I mean, we'll talk about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, I think, in the next episode. Yeah. Um, because we've got some, um, some maybe some practical advice um, to help us in our... Or, or I'm, I'm certainly going to share some practical advice that um, I try to live by that has helped me in my spiritual life and might help you too in terms of the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I suppose um, as well, not just, in, not just in your spiritual life, but also in the practical life, like you, the mission that you live out. Well, so I think the spiritual brother, life is the practical life. Yeah, they it's go like, together. <laughs> yeah. I live one life, you know, I don't have many lives, I've only got one. Yeah, I think, I, that's, a, that's a really good point. But they, they go together. But the, yeah, spiritual life is practical. And these, these gifts that we, we will be speaking about a bit more in further detail, they are eminently practical. And, you know, these gifts of the Holy Spirit are very much spoken about with confirmation. So when someone is confirmed, they receive these these gifts. That's that's normally when they're spoken about more prominently. But, you know, you receive the Holy Spirit at baptism. So you receive them in almost seed form then. And then throughout the rest of your life, they, they are there to grow in your life. Mm. And at different times, one will be more prominent than another, depending on where the where you're called to in your in your mission. But they're, they're very that's an recognize. interesting thing to say you know it equips you for mission it equips you for service i mean you're giving these things not just so you know um you can be great just in yourself yes i mean you are called to greatness you are called to be a great saint but the way that you become a great saint is also in service um you know to, to others and uh, this is something that i think you know going on pilgrimage to lords helping the sick in lords teaches you you know um so yeah, I mean that that's a very important point that these gifts are uh, not 
simply self-centered gifts. They're gifts that are there to help. Yes, they are there to help you flourish, but the fact that you're that you're um, that you have the gift of wisdom and understanding and and uh, knowledge and fortitude and all the rest of it is also to help others. Mm. It's to help other people, and um, yeah, that's something. Whether it be through um, marriage, whether it be through religious life, priesthood, or being a teacher, or whatever situation you find yourself in, um, that's what these gifts are for. Now, some people might say to us, um, well, okay, fine, I was con confirmed, um, and, you know, it says I was given the gift of knowledge, but I still only got, you know, a C at GCSE, um, or now I think it'd be a level, what is it, a level four or something at GCSE, five, something like yeah. that, five? Four or five, yeah. Um, uh, uh, how times have changed since we were at school. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, well, why is it, you know, being given this spirit of the Most High, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, uh, why is it that I'm given this spirit of knowledge, um, the spirit of truth, as, as, as Scripture says, um, or even the spirit of charity, but still I seem not to know everything, I, I make mistakes. Um, why is it that um, I'm not always as charitable to people as I should be? Does that mean that really I haven't received the Holy Spirit? Um, well, to that I would say no, right? You've received object, and this is the importance of having an objective spirituality. Objectively, you have received the Holy Spirit, but whether those gifts and those fruits come to fruition depend on your disposition. Whether you're open and ready to receiving those fruits and cultivating those fruits and growing in the divine life. Um, that's, that's what these things are for. And so you may receive the Holy Spirit as a teenager and then, you know, not, I mean, how many of our teenagers after receiving confirmation come back to mass? Not many of them, right? Sadly, Some yeah. of them, yeah. Yeah, but, but so then think they, of our, in our own lives as, yeah. as, as well. So we're receiving these gifts objectively and receiving the Holy Spirit objectively at confirmation. But not almost not unpacking them until later, not cultivating them is is a good image, and and it's an important point that you, you, we mentioned earlier is that God is not going to do this independently of ourselves. He's not going to force us to have the the gifts of knowledge or the the fruits that come from the Holy Spirit. He's not going to force them in our lives. We have to participate and and cultivate them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, so what you will see, I think, is later as time goes on. And as you uh, as you grow, and maybe it will be like ten years or so, and you start coming back to your faith, um, then when you I don't know, uh, let's say you go away after your confirmation, you go away from the church, you you know say oh yeah, it's all a load of rubbish, and you go off and you live your life, and let's say you have a conversion experience in your mid twenties, and then you come back to confession or something, and you know being open then to the Holy Spirit and God's grace in your life. Um, that's when then that the the Holy Spirit will then um, the presence of the Holy Spirit will then be made known in you uh, or, or revealed in you in in a new way. You will see the activeness. So yeah, there is something about it which um, relies on our participation. That's one of the things that God gives us. He gives us this. Great dignity, as we always say in this podcast, he gives you this great dignity. And great to, freedom. And freedom. With that dignity. A gift that he has given us is freedom and, and to work with him um, in these things. And that's then a participation in our salvation. It's a participation in the divine life. So you see that divine life 
blossom and come to fruition um, when we begin to open ourselves up to God and and participate uh, uh, in the divine life. So what I would say is perform those corporal and spiritual works of mercy, you know, go and receive the sacraments because it's not only in, in baptism and confirmation that you receive the Holy Spirit. It's also when you receive the Eucharist. Yes, you receive the body of Christ, but you also receive the Holy Spirit and you become, you become reanimated as a, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Also, when you, when you uh, go to confession, the Spirit is active there as well. So I would say participate in the sacramental economy. Go to confession, receive the sacraments, you know, um, pray when you're at home, um, uh, read the scriptures um, and perform corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Live your vocation fruitfully and faithfully um, and do things for others, you know, and then you'll see the divine life coming to blossom in your soul. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just for yourself, so they're for other people as well. So we, we almost make this delineation between between the gifts. So we can say that the, some of the gifts are there to strengthen the mind and the other gifts are there to strengthen the will. So to help us to know the good and then to help us to cling to that good, to actually do that good in our lives. But that is very much for ourselves and for other people around us so that we very much become Christ to, to other people. They encounter Christ through us. I think that I think that's a, a good thing to to say at the beginning. So then the gifts, just to to go through them, we'll just touch on them very very briefly. There's much wisdom to be found on these on these within the church's tradition, and you can you can unpack them by going and searching out information on these. Um, maybe we'll get some recommendations at the at the end of resources to go to. So wisdom and, and knowledge and understanding are very much geared to, to strengthen in the mind. And then we have piety, fortitude, fear of the Lord uh, and counsel are there to strengthen the will to be able to, to actually uh, go and do the, the good that uh, well live in, in the life of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's spend some time on each of them. So wisdom. So the first gift that we often mention of the Holy Spirit is wisdom. And it's being able to view things from the hilltop. That's how I try mm. to explain it. Being able to see things really from God's perspective. So we can think of an analogy. When we're on the on the ground and we're looking around, we can only see a certain distance. But then as you rise up uh, in altitude, if you like, if you go up, up the hill, up the mountain, you can then see how each field rolls into another field into another field or how a road leads to another road to another road how they're connected together so from from the spiritual life then we're able to see things how god sees sees things things that are connected together it gives us a better view it gives us god's view really of of the, of how things fit together i think that's really how, how i would explain how would you explain wisdom uh i wouldn't <laughs> no, I, I think that's a, a, a wonderful explanation of wisdom. I mean, using such a great biblical uh, image there, you know, going up the mountain, reminding reminds me of Moses going up the mountain uh, to receive the commandments, or Christ when he goes up Mount Tabor and he's transfigured in light and his sort of his glory seeps through, and his disciples um, uh, see it up the mountain. You know, when he's there with Moses and Elijah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a that's a a, a, a very good thing. I, I think wisdom also helps us know 
it's it's connected to prudence i think wisdom it helps us to know what to do and what not to do and it's also connected i think also to helping uh help counsel others i think um wisdom is one of those things you know when you when you really meet a wise person um you really trust and value their advice and they i think wise people draw you closer to god who is the um the reason why any of us exist you know our beginning mm. and 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 our end um I yeah suppose, I suppose that's a, a good point you mentioned there is that someone who is wise often gives very good counsel but and that that sort of illustrates the point that these gifts go together that mm. you wherever you see one you often see the the others coming with them the, mm. the other gifts are often there as well so knowledge and understanding are, are very closely related we often see them linked together actually in the in their description um certainly augustine you know he, he reflected very much on, on these gifts of the holy spirit he he refers to uh, refers to these as our appreciation for god present in our life or a, a sort of our desire our save savior or, how do, you, how do you say if you savor a food or something? Mm. You, you, it's experience, isn't it? You know, you delight in it. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you're receiving a divine person in, 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 into your um, into your soul. I suppose you know you're, you're receiving um, a divine person into your temple. You know, into the temple of the Holy Spirit um, that you become. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So f from that perspective that knowledge comes through the experience of the Holy Spirit that you have. And it's not necessarily the same in the same order as when you meet, uh, say, a friend for a coffee. You know, me and the Holy Spirit don't go for coffee at Pret-a-Manger or, mm. you know, wherever your favourite sort of coffee place is to go. <laughs> um, um, coffee is available, we should say, from all good coffee shops, <laughs> <laughs> unless we get sued. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, you have a a knowledge of God which comes from the the third person of the Trinity uh, dwelling within you, um, and yeah, you uh, he helps you to understand uh, the things of God um, because he communicates to you the divine life mm. um, uh, 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 that God you know God who is love as the first letter of John tells us, and so then the rest of our experiences in our life are seen or read through um, the lens of, of the love of God, the lens of the of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, but again, you, it's a choice. You, you, know, someone, you choose to do that, don't you? Yeah, I think when when you love someone, like you, you savor knowing more about them. Like you desire to know more and more about mm. them. So with, with these two gifts comes that sort of desire to know more and more things about god you think of someone who who really enjoys sport and you grow into oh. a deeper relationship that's one of the things to remember about uh, uh, all of these things is that you know christianity isn't a philosophy as benedict XVI said mm. it's about relationship yeah, the whole thing comes back to relationship. just just on the on that analogy of sport you know someone who really loves loves and enjoys sport or, or anything music or reading or really enjoys uh, any any sort of hobby 
you know, really enjoy spending time with their friend, that they want to know as much as they can about the other person and they mm. delight in knowing mm. more and more about this particular sport. You know, and things like dates and e- even like memorizing certain bits of information. And so there's there's this analogy with, with God. So we have this desire to soak in as much mm. of the stuff that God has revealed to us about himself. And as you said, ultimately, everything that he has revealed himself is to bring us into a keener, deeper mm. relationship with him. And the signs of divine friendship, you know, Aristotle makes the point that um, there is something unitive about friendship. A friend desires to dwell with the other. And what is it that we read in, in uh, John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, that Christ, um, that the word tabernacles with us, he dwells with us. And in a similar way, um, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. It's uh, a sign of the divine friendship that, um, and it, not just the sign of the divine friendship, but it's the, uh, um, uh, it brings about also the, the divine friendship too. It establishes and strengthens and maintains and grows the divine friendship uh, between us and God. And that's something which is um, done, um, uh, God crosses that 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 divide shall we say you know he's the one who reaches out to embrace us um so yeah i mean that's something else to keep in mind with these things and receiving the holy spirit is that Mm. it's the communication of the divine life and it's about becoming a friend of god or saint essentially becoming a saint which is a friend of god yeah and someone Um, who is a friend like the the friends share their lives with each other so and that's what God, God does with the Holy Spirit, you know, he shares he's sharing and with Christ, you know, uh, Jesus Christ, who is the face of the Father, um, you know, we become temples of the Holy Spirit and, and thereby we become grafted onto the mystical body of Christ and we become partakers of the divine nature, as we read in scripture. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, God, our friend, desires to dwell with us and raise us up and elevate us Um through his coming to to be with us we should talk more about the the other gifts yeah let's so so knowledge just a, just a touch mm. of knowledge just to flesh out oh that's another important thing actually to say about those gifts of the intellect that you're talking about with mm. knowledge understanding and things is that um love isn't solely about knowledge and it's not or it's not solely about the intellect mm-hmm. and it's not solely um not solely about the will Uh, It has something to do with both, you know, Mm -hmm. when you love somebody, um, part of it, I think, is based on um, maybe some some experience of them, some some knowing in some sense, some sharing of one's life in some way with another. Uh, Not necessarily that we've shared the totality of their life. Um, I I don't share the totality of your life, but we're great friends, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but there is a sharing of something and there is something about it which is uh, um, about the life of the intellect and a meeting of minds and a meeting of souls and things like that. But um, there's also something about it which is about the um, act of the will, not just willing the good of the other in one's imagination and willing one one well, um, but it's also in the doing uh, of something. You know, so that's yeah. So the, uh, that I, I just thought it was it was um, important to s- emphasize that 
love um, and the divine life is not just uh, an intellectual pursuit. Like faith is not just uh, the acceptance of a series of intellectual propositions. You know, um, uh, there's something about it which is a life of charity, which is a life of action. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, <laughs> let's move on. Let's touch on on cancel. So, cancel is what enables us really to be able to judge quickly and and promptly and rightly what must be done in a particular situation. Mm. So that really we're we're deciding what to do in order that it may bring us closer to God and closer to more of a union with God. Uh, so I think that's probably in a nutshell the best way to explain counsel. So someone, when you think of someone who, who has the gift of counsel, they're able to quickly and, and rightly discern a situation that uh, enables, them, enables the person to act according to bring them closer to God. I think that's in, in a nutshell. Um, it's probably the one that's um, most easily recognisable, I think, when, you, when you, you see someone who has the gift of counsel. You, you think, mm. actually, yeah, they're wise, they're very good at giving um, advice. Well, it's in really situation. interesting, isn't it? You know, who do you go to in a yeah. crisis? Who, who do you go to when you've got a dilemma? Mm. You go to someone who is, who is wise. Someone you who, trust their counsel. Who, yeah. Yeah, who is able to give good counsel. It's interesting that so wisdom and counsel go very well together there. You can... You can very quickly see how they go together. Mm. I, I think it's it's um, it's interesting that with people who are wise or people who give good counsel, it's very interesting actually that they don't always they can't always tell actually that they themselves are wise. Mm. Similar with brave people, people who have the gift of fortitude, very often actually they don't always realise how brave they're being um, at, at particular moments or particular times. You know. It's, it's quite an interesting thing. I think that it probably fits with where the gift comes from. So the gift is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we talk of the Holy Spirit being a spirit of humility. Yeah. You know, we, we talk of other things, a spirit of truth. but the spirit, spirit is also a spirit of humility, absolutely. Humility, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's probably where it comes from. So we receive this gift from the person mm. of the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of humility. And that's where, when, we, when this gift is, is more prominent in our life, uh, when the any of these gifts are more prominent in our life, we, we very much recognise that it, it's there's that humility that comes with it. That's probably the way that you can discern whether whether it's um, a, a false courage or false wisdom. Is it, it does humility come with it? Does it point ultimately to God and not to like self aggrandizement? Mm. Does it point ultimately to God? That's probably a, a good way of dis, discerning where it comes from. So really, so on fortitude then, so it's often called courage, often called strength, and it's really the ability or, or capacity to be able to do the good in the face of great opposition. So it's not just about knowing what's right, it's also about doing it yeah. and having the courage to do it even when it's tough. Yeah. yeah. So knowing what's right is really that when we talk about the gifts that help the intellect, so you know what's right, but it's another thing doing what's right. You know, you have to mm. follow through on, on, on what is right. And you think of, this is, you know, something which we uh, we greatly esteem is someone who's courageous, who who steers the course, uh, stays the course, really, of, of doing what's right, even in the face of very adverse, uh, very adverse situations. So, yeah, so that one's something that's probably quite easy to, uh, to recognise. So then we, we move on to the next one. So piety, I know this is, you have a few comments on piety. So 
Do you know what piety means, Papa Thomas? Well, I remember, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we tried to record this episode before, didn't yeah, we? And yeah. like the audio was just really terrible. And um, I remember listening to what you sort of said about... Um, oh, um, were you listening well? What did I say? I, I can't remember, you know, <laughs> like, when you were saying before about, oh, friend, friends, you know, remembering things about each other. I mean, you know how notoriously bad my memory is. And I felt like a terrible friend. Um, but uh, yeah, may maybe, uh, yeah, refresh my memory. Well, when we think of someone who's pious or, some mm. or someone who has a piety in, in English, it was certainly here in our, in our culture. We think of, yeah, but we think of someone who's like very fussy, you know, someone who's pious, we think of like fussiness, but that's not what, mm. what piety means. Someone who's pious is, is not someone who's judgmental. You know, that's, that's often what we think here in this culture. But someone who's, who's piety is, it's, it's really about trust. It's about trust of God. I think we, we spoke about that before. Someone yeah, I mean, how I think of, about piety, I remember, uh, this is what I said last time, wasn't it? Mm. I, I, piety is about fidelity. It's yeah. about faithfulness to the Lord. Um, that's what, what piety is, is yeah, about. Certainly your, your brother, St. Thomas Aquinas, says that. So he, he places piety as a, as a form of justice. So what is owed to, to God? Giving to God what belongs to God. Yeah, yeah. What, what is owed to God is really a trust of our whole self, mm. is, a, is a piety of our whole self. So so prayer is owed to God as, as staying in communion with, with God. So prayer is really, you know, communion with God. So that's owed to, to God because we're, we're created by God. We're, mm. we're sustained by God in our being. So, and then we're saved by God. He gives us these gifts, you know, so... God has given us all these things, so we owe all these things mm. back to God in, in a certain sense. So then we think about what those acts of piety are, those acts of fidelity. Because when we think about people people who are pious, we think about, you know, the people who, you know, kneel and say their rosary at the end of Mass, or you'll, you'll see, like, the little old lady sort of doing the stations of the cross on her own. And, you know, these are all acts of fidelity and acts of piety and Acts of love. I mean, that's what fidelity is really all about, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Fidelity is all about love. And that the Holy Spirit helps us to grow in that love and in that fidelity. Not just fidelity in the sense of resisting things which um, which draw us away from what, what we should be doing. Um, but um, fidelity in the sense of actively doing what we should be doing. Like helping to catechize and evangelize people. For example, um, in, in, in our cases, that's that's... A great deal of what we've been called to do in in our cases um uh or fidelity showing fidelity to the lord in our religious life or our priesthood or married life um i think that's a really good point because how god wants us to be to to be pious or to give us this gift of piety very much depends uh, often on our vocation so you as a religious have a different vocation to someone who's married but we we can allow the ordinary events of, of our life of what we may see as ordinary to be opportunities to be pious to be opportunities to love god through these acts mm. because that's that's really someone who has the gift of piety sees these things as opportunities so sees mm. devotions as an opportunity to grow and love a god but also sees the things which they have to do in a day-to-day -day life as opportunities to yeah grow in love of god i mean saint augustine says doesn't he you know um pray at all times unceasingly and sometimes people are like oh you know oh i can't be you know in the uh in the church every single waking moment you yeah, know of course, of course um, 
or I don't have time to pray the liturgy of the hours or anything like that. Um, but actually your fidelity to the Lord actually impinges on every aspect of your life. And so then everything that you do is, I think, and I mean, I know not everybody would agree with me, but I think that every moment of your life, you're being drawn either closer to God or or not, you know. Um, There's no plateau, one might say. Yeah, I mean, all right. I mean, you can actually choose to walk away from the Lord. I mean, mm. you know, and how we treat our neighbours then when we're on the when we're on the street or when we're in the coffee shop, you know, gossiping about our friend or detracting from their from their good character. Um, these th are things that don't only affect the other person. It also affects not only our relationship with the other person, our relationship with the, with it, of ourselves within the communion of saints mm. and our relationship with uh, with God. Yeah, well, it goes back to the whole understanding what is prayer, of the church. Right? Prayer is communication. Yeah. It's communication and it's about relationship. And so then everything you do is uh, uh, communicating something about your relationship to God and your relationship to the community within the communion of saints and to to your other saints, your your brothers and sisters in Christ and to the world, you know. So everything you do is actually part of your prayer life, yeah. in, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that, that is our understanding of, of the church as the body of Christ. Mm. So mm -hmm. if you think of a body when one part of the body is hurting, mm. the whole body hurts. Absolutely. But, but when, when, you're, when one part of the body is healthy, then it can help the rest of the body to be to be healthy. Yeah. So I think with these, with these pious acts that we can do... But those are read, the reading today. Uh, mm. Paul, um, uh, they seek to stone Paul and they think he's dead and they sort of leave him outside the city walls. Well, the disciples come and they surround him and he mm. raises himself, it says. He raises himself um, and he, you know, uh, goes on sort of preaching the gospel and things. Um, but it's interesting that he's surrounded by the disciples and there's a and and then he raises himself like there's a a connection then between those that communion of saints and restoration and healing mm. and being lifted up um by others in the face of difficulty great difficulty and even persecution yeah very good point very good point okay so our last gift that we'll mention is so the the fear of the lord mm. so there's lots of misconceptions about this. So yes. often we can, often it's thought, so fear of the Lord is like a, it's almost like a slavish sort of fear. Ooh. You know, we can think of God as like a master who mm. wants to dictate our life. And if we do something wrong, he's going to punish us in some way. But that's that's not what this means. Yeah. It's more like a, a filial fear. So it's it's almost like... Like in a friendship, you don't want to, because you love that person so much. You don't want to do something which is going to create Damage a barrier your heart between the friendship. Yeah, mm. it's going to hurt them or hurt the friendship or you know hurt you, or it's going to create some sort of distance between the two of you. So it's love of the other to the point where I don't want anything to get in the way of this. So it's a fear of something getting in in the way of that relationship growing. I, and I think that's that's probably the best way in a nutshell to to understand understand that gift almost almost like a child with a parent you don't think of the child that loves the parent so much that doesn't it doesn't want to do something which is going to harm that relationship in some way uh, uh, from from their perspective yeah that's probably yeah the best way to i mean personally i i'd avoid using words like fear because i think people can misunderstand it fear, yeah yeah so um, reverence reverence it, that's exactly right that uh, that reverence is the term that i would use um, because it's about respect. That's what it is. 
it, um, fear of the Lord really is about respect. Um, and uh, so it's, it's reverence. It's having reverence and respect for God and the things of God and things in relation to God. Um, yeah, so that's, that's and, and then reverence and respect is, is a sign of love. So when Paul says, you know, um, I think it's Paul, that perfect love casts out fear. Um, that's that's the, the, the point. It's like the difference between imperfect contrition and perfect contrition. You know, you can go to confession and you can have imperfect contrition for your sins, meaning you can confess your sins out of, I don't know, fear of the loss of God or uh, fear of hell or something like that, right? Mm. That's imperfect contrition. Perfect contrition is that you're um, sorry for what you've done because you love God so much, you know? Yeah. And that's perfect contrition. So, and perfect love, as we read in scripture, casts out fear. Um, and so I would say that actually reverence is not about fear. Um, reverence is about a, having a proper respect for God and things which things and people who represent God, and so then we have and a certain his, his family, his his the saints, the his yeah, that's exactly Jesus, what I mean. Mother, yeah, Mary, and that's what I mean when I talk about the, mother the of God. people in their in their in their relationship in relation to God. So it's not just the things of God, but also yeah. the people of God. So we show reverence to the altar because it represents Christ. You know, we might bow to the altar. Um, we um, uh, if we see. Uh, um, uh, a statue, Maybe we might actually like bow our head. It's not because we think the statue is the person or because we're worshiping a statue. It's because it represents um, something holy. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> There's also, it used to be the case that people would, it used to be the case that people would bow their head, uh, you know, to each other. Even now, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll walk through the refectory into the kitchen here, uh, here in the Priory and I'll bump into another brother uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll bow my head and my shoulders to them as I'm walking past them and they'll bow their head and their shoulders to me. It's a respect of them or a reverence of them, recognizing that the, that the Holy Spirit is present in this person. That this person is, as St. Paul says, an ambassador for Christ. This oh, person represents Christ. Spirit. Yeah, mm. and is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place where the Most High God dwells. And so I reverence them because they are also another member of the mystical body of Christ. Um, and this is the thing, you know, when, when a priest is ordained, people will go up to the priest and ask for his first blessing. So he blesses them and then they kiss his hands. They kiss his hands. Why is that? You know, you had a, a great story about what Mother Teresa used to say. You yeah. remember? Yeah, but well, because ultimately they're not. Someone's not kissing the the hands of, of the priest. They're kissing who the priest represents. The priest represents. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so Mother Teresa. So it Teresa is a reverence page to. It is a reverence page of the priest because the hands are the priests to yeah. a certain extent, yeah. but their hands do not belong to themselves. Sorry, their hands do not belong to themselves. Uh, anymore, and, and you read also. I think is it I, in one Corinthians or Galatians? I think it might be one Corinthians where uh, Saint Paul says, um, 
you do not belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Christ. You were bought at a, at a great price. I think that's yeah. 1 Corinthians, I think. Um, so yeah, we have reverence to God. We have reverence to things of God, like uh, the altar, like sacred objects, sacred things, because they represent something um, divine. Um, but also uh, reverence to the people of God. And every person who you meet is either a friend of God, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, or has the potential to be the friend of God. And so therefore, you either love them with the love of friendship because you're your friends, or because they are friends of your friend, meaning God, right? They're either, they're because they could be friends of God, or they have the potential to be God's friend, and so then you love them, uh, you love them in that way, you know? You love them um, because they have the potential to be friends of God. Um, so then as St. John Paul II says, uh, love is the only acceptable way in which you can treat another human being the only because the only mm. creatures um uh thomas aquinas says um are not able to be friends of god are, are demons demons do not have the potential to be all oh, rational creatures i mean demons um do not have the potential the potential to be friends of god because they've made a definitive choice against god um and so therefore they don't have the potential even to be your friend either so yeah that's something else to say yeah okay so we'll draw our episode to a close there uh so in our next few episodes we'll be talking about the fruits of the holy spirit i think we'll also talk a, a little bit about how we can grow in these gifts and and these fruits of the holy spirit um and also we'll be talking around pentecost time about what happened at pentecost and the difference that the holy spirit makes in the lives of the apostles you know what sort of difference it makes for them and what sort of difference they can make for us in in our lives so thank you for joining us for this episode. Please please comment and like and subscribe the episode, share it with other people. And we'll be back with another episode very soon. Mm. Also, uh, if you're interested in learning more about the Holy Spirit, um, get yourself a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There's a whole section called I Believe in the Holy Spirit uh, that talks about um, the Holy Spirit in Trinitarian terms in relation to us. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you're uh, not a Catholic, um, there are lots of my Protestant friends have read uh, this section of the Catechism and find it really fruitful uh, and beneficial and fantastic. Um, so don't worry that just because you're not a Catholic that it's not going to be something that you can read and gain any benefit from. Lots of my Protestant friends have read it and say that it's fantastic. Um, and so it comes not only with our recommendation, but also recommendation uh, with, others, yeah. with theirs too. So yeah, okay. thank you very much for listening. Thank um, you. Like, well, comment, subscribe, and God bless. God bless.